Support for Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home plays a big role in your life. That's why Quicken Loans created Rocket Mortgage. It lets you apply simply and understand the entire mortgage process fully, so you can be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com forward slash four. Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today, we're talking energy and industrials. It's Thursday, the 11th of January, and today we're going to be discussing two American auto giants, GM and Ford. I'm your host, Sarah Priestley, and joining me on Skype is Motley Fool contributor and senior auto specialist, John Rosevich. John, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm well, thank you for having me. How are you today? I'm good. Do you have any uh, outstanding New Year's resolutions? Uh... Oh, good question. Um, <laughs> more consistent gym attendance. Probably. Oh, yeah. yeah. I had a bunch of little injuries last year and, and got a little sloppy about going to the gym. I mean, no big injuries, but like, you know, aches and pains. Mm-hmm. So hoping to get back this year. Well, the right people were queuing for the treadmills last night at my gym. I think everybody's everybody's got <laughs> the same idea, but including me. You know, I'm on the bandwagon too. Um, mm-hmm. So as I said, we're going to be looking at General Motors and Ford uh, taking advantage of the new year to recap 2017 for these two American titans and look ahead for this year as both continue to pivot towards becoming mobility companies away from just automakers. So this means embracing new tech and Silicon Valley on things like connected vehicles, driverless cars and big data. But let's just start with some background on the auto industry generally. Uh, 2017 was a good time to be a car buyer, that's for sure. Dealers were offering some great discounts. And last year saw the continued trend of consumers upgrading from cars to SUVs, trucks and crossovers, partly driven by low fuel costs, partly by improved energy efficiency of these cars. So automakers started the year out strong after a record uh, sales in 2016. But by March uh, 2017, car sales declined. And so began the whisperings of peak auto sales, a phrase auto investors will know all too well. It essentially means it's essentially the idea that the car market has plateaued. Um, But John, for all the predictions of the apocalypse, it never really came to fruition. Um, What do you make of all the rumors and speculation? Well, like the economy, auto sales are cyclical. I mean, they go up when people are feeling flush. People and businesses are feeling flush. Businesses buy a lot of cars, especially from, a lot of vehicles, especially from Ford and GM, fleet trucks, and so forth. Uh, and and they shrink when you know, you know when when the economy is tight. People and businesses say, "Well, we'll drive the old ones another year because you can do that." Mm-hmm. And, and so you know, I mean, there is a cycle here. We're probably this has been a long good cycle coming out of. You know the bottom of 2008, 2009. Uh, we are probably uh, there. Are, there are a bunch of uh, techie reasons to think that we are past the peak of the cycle. Uh, sedan sales are way down. Uh, both Ford and GM were hit by that last year, and 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 will see that again this year. Uh, but the good news is that pickup sales are still strong. Those are big drivers of profits for both Ford and GM. And as you said, buyers are migrating. The buyers that are there are migrating toward uh, SUVs, especially the new generation of what we call crossover SUVs, which mm-hmm. are SUV-like vehicles built on on car architectures. So they drive more like cars. These have become wildly popular. Uh, People are opting for crossovers uh, as family vehicles and as personal vehicles over traditional sedans in ever-rising numbers to the point where some automakers are really having trouble selling sedans. Uh, Like Ford's Fusion was down over 20% last year, sales, U.S. sales. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is a good trend because generally speaking, uh, you know, a a mid-size five-passenger crossover is more profitable uh, for an automaker than a mid-size five-passenger sedan that that it's replacing. Uh, So that's been good news. Um, 
GM's U.S. sales were down a little bit last year, but its uh, profits in North America, which is mostly the U.S., uh, actually rose because it made it, it lost a lot of sedan sales and it made up most of them with its brand new line of crossovers, which are very profitable and uh, very popular products. Sales have been up for them. Uh, so, so I mean, that's kind of the story of 2017, and and yeah, we're only a few days into 2018, but mm-hmm. but so far, there's no reason to expect that those kinds of trends aren't going to continue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as long as the economy stays reasonably healthy, car sales will be at a fairly high level. Uh, buyers are opting for the products that generate better profit margins, particularly with Ford, at least for Ford and GM, uh, over small cars, sedans, you know, little compact cars have become a tough sell for, for some automakers in particular. And those are, those are lower profit products compared to maybe the compact SUV that that family bought instead. Okay. So we're kind of seeing uh, a transition um, play out that kind of began a couple of years ago with this move to SUVs, crossovers, uh, light trucks and trucks. But this, they reported in January modest declines in annual sales. Um, sorry, the big three reported modest declines in annual sales. But given that 2016 was kind of this bumper year, it wasn't the precipitous decline that uh, a lot of the commentators would have us believe. But I expect that 2018 will see continued uh, rumors, as as we saw before. So GM and Ford, two of the big three, or the Detroit three, as they're often called, which are GM, Ford, and Fiat Chrysler. Last year, GM dominated the market with a little over 19% market share. Ford came in second, 15%. And actually, Toyota rose uh, close third with almost 14%. So we have a tale of two halves here. Last 12 months, GM is up, stock is up 16%. Ford lags behind at just 1.6%. So let's start with Ford, John, the only US automaker to post year-over-year sales gain last month, but profitability-wise, uh, they're not doing so well. What were kind of the highlights, lowlights for 20, of 2017 for them? Well, in last January, just about a year ago, actually, uh, it would be a year ago from next week, uh, Ford's management came out and said, okay, here's our guidance for 2017. Our, our profits are going to be down this year. Uh, we see some costs rising. Uh, we're spending a lot on future technology, future products, so forth. Uh, we don't have a lot of new products coming out in 2017. It's just we're at that point in the cycle. Uh, but profits will go up in, in, in 2018. That's what they said. Uh, sure enough, first quarter profits were down significantly uh, because of some big costs. It was more or less as they had predicted. Um, but I think Ford's board of directors after that thought that there were some some uh, uh, some reasons to change the direction <laughs> yeah. of the company. Let's put it that way. Uh, I, I mean, I just pulled up a little while ago a chart showing uh, if you were looking from March of 2017, the one-year performance of Ford and GM stock, and GM's up like 20% and Ford's down. Uh, and, and I think it would have been reasonable for Ford's board to be having that conversation at their March meeting. Wait a minute. You know, We just had the two most profitable years, 2015 and 2016, the two most profitable years in Ford's century-plus history. And our stock's down? What's going on? We're not telling. We're not doing a good job of telling the story mm-hmm. of how these investments that we're making that are going to drive our, our, our that are going to cut into our profits in 2017, how these investments are going to pay off. I think that was a big part of why they sacked Mark Fields, or rather ushered him into early retirement. <laughs> uh, I, I like Mark Fields a lot personally, so I want to be you know uh, kind to him in in how we talk about this. Uh, he was ushered into early retirement and replaced uh, by Jim Hackett, uh, former Steelcase CEO, had been working with Ford for a couple of years, running a subsidiary that was doing all this future tech, future mobility 
sort of exploration experimentation. Uh, he, he, he was brought in by Bill Ford, the executive chairman and uh, great-grandson of Henry Ford, uh, as kind of this deep thinker for the company. He is very much a deep thinker. He's a, he's a, he's a reader. He's a futurist. He's, he talks to the kind of people uh, who see where technology is going and understand technological disruption and so forth. Uh, he is a big thinker around this, and I think Ford wanted him to come in and sort of set and then communicate the vision for how Ford becomes a vehicle and mobility company, which had been the catchphrase they'd been using for a couple of years under Fields. Uh, you know, how does Ford become provider of personal mobility uh, rather than, you know, seller of F-150s and SUVs and Mustangs? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and the answer is it has to be both, uh, probably for many decades to come. Uh, but, but Jim's Jim's thing is to tell the story and lead Ford into the future. And and he immediately sort of revamped Ford's management structure and essentially split the, what might have been a chief operating officer job between several different very senior Ford veterans. So they're actually running the company and so forth and making the decisions mm-hmm. about, you know, where the cup holder should be and which factory <laughs> should build what vehicle and all that kind of it's stuff. It's a smart move. Uh, because Jim Hackett is not an auto industry veteran, really. I mean, he came out of a very different industry, but but he's a leader and he's a deep thinker and he's, a, he's someone who understands technological disruption. And it's, he's who Bill Ford and the board thought should lead Ford right now. Uh, he later in the year um, began communicating his plan, and we could see signs of it: faster, uh, more aggressive movement towards developing electric vehicles, uh, more spending on on self-driving related things, new mobility visions. He's talked about it more uh, very recently, just this past week at CES. Uh, I, I think it's still fuzzy, and I think that's why Ford's stock performance hasn't yet been great. I think Wall Street doesn't quite get it yet, but mm-hmm. but he'll get them there, I think. Uh, and, and and that was really the big story for Ford in 2017, this, this big change from uh, a CEO who had been a Ford lifer, who was a car guy, who understood you know, the nuts and bolts of the business in great detail who had come up the ranks um, with this the, this voice who is is very much oriented on where is the company going in, into the future and, and has a good understanding of what Ford's role might be in 2040 in a world where, you know, vehicles drive themselves and they mm-hmm. all talk to each other and and, and so forth yeah. and, and how Ford might thrive in that kind of world. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as you rightly pointed out, Mark Fields, uh, in January, he gave a he gave a talk about the new products and how this money is going to be spent um, on self-driving systems, electric drivetrains. But as you said, he didn't contextualize why this was important. And in an era where you have Tesla, which, you know, continues to be unprofitable, but continues to be a phenomenal stock for people, people are really buying the story and he just couldn't sell this story. So I think you're exactly right. As soon as Hackett starts to sell people on the vision uh, that he's creating, I think that we'll start to see an improvement in the stock. But last year, we did see some kind of gimmicky moves. They partnered with Domino's Pizza on self-driving pizza delivery. Um, But then more seriously, the deal with Lyft to test Ford self-driving vehicles might actually come to something. Um, Don't underestimate the Domino's deal. (laughs) No, no, really, this is how Ford works. I mean, it sounds silly, and they, they, they made it look silly. I mean, they dressed up the car with crazy graphics and did it in a college town, Ann Arbor, Michigan. But... 
this is how Ford works. They're taking a very, very, very careful look at the tiny details of how people react to this, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's things like, should the car pull in your driveway or stop at the curb? How should the pizza come out of the car? Should the car tell you how to take it out or should it come out like, you know, on this lever or why all this kind of stuff. Um, and then, I, I mean, Ford is very deep around things for commercial vehicles. Uh, very deep thinking around commercial vehicles is why they've had the success they've had uh, with commercial vehicles. It's why all the you know the work trucks and police cars and things like that you see so many of them are Fords because Ford has worked for this business for decades. And now I think they're just thinking you know it, the pizza thing is funny, uh, it's silly, it made for some jokey headlines, but I, they're thinking seriously about you know what would a self-driving pizza delivery vehicle look like because we're going to try and sell 10,000 of them to Domino's in four years, you know, it's it's, 50,000 of them, you know, I mean, I mean, they they are thinking about this in terms of building a business around this in a few years. And it sounds funny now, but this is how the research goes. It's, it's a real deal. Mm -hmm. And I think that they're recently announced uh, at the CES conference, the recently announced partnership with Postmates kind of underscores exactly what you're saying. They're talking about making these self-driving delivery to really free up a lot of small and medium-sized business owners uh, and, you know, hopefully to escalate that up to Amazon-worthy level of deliveries. So uh, huge yeah, if potential. They, if, they, if they go from these jokey tests to seven years from now selling half a million self-driving delivery vans to companies like Amazon and UPS all over the world, it's not going to be a joke anymore. You know, no. it won't be half a million, but maybe a hundred thousand, you know, it's, <laughs> it's not a joke anymore. That That's a good business. Uh, and, and, and that's where they are going with this. Uh, other companies, when we talk about GM are focusing on personal mobility, you know, sort of robot versions of Uber or Lyft in cities. Ford is thinking, Ford, Ford would like to wade into that market, certainly, but it's also thinking of its traditional strength, commercial vehicles, fleet operations, uh, delivery vans, uh, work trucks, things like that. How do do we bring this technology to those markets uh, and and retain and win new customers uh, using our existing strengths? Mm -hmm. It's smart for them. One thing that they are doing that I think is incredibly smart is um, they're partnered with Autonomic sorry, I probably pronounced that incorrectly, uh, to develop the Ford Transportation Mobility Cloud, which is connecting cities and cars together. Potentially, this has huge consequences, but the biggest one being that a lot of these... um, a lot of these strategies and plans that people are envisioning are relying on this connected network of cars with cities and with people and everything else. There has to be a platform. There has to be a singular platform that people are able to do that on. So if Ford does have a first mover advantage on setting up this kind of technology, that could be um, incredibly lucrative for them in the next kind of 20, 30 years. And you can see just, I mean, even going back before Jim Hackett, how Ford has been thinking about how would we piece together a soup to nuts mobility offering and go to, you know, the mayor of a city and say, okay, the, yeah, adopt our system. Uh, they've got they've got a bike sharing thing. Uh, they've got uh, crowdsourced uh, shuttle buses that that look at where the bikes go in a city, you know, the bike sharing thing, and then they watch where the bikes go, and then they run uh, these shuttle vans at at a considerably lower cost than Mm -hmm. Uber or a taxi uh, on these routes. And it's all small scale right now, but but they bought these businesses a couple years ago, and, and, and you can see where they're starting to think about you know, you'll, they have this app now called Ford Pass, which doesn't do a whole lot, but maybe seven years from now, Ford Pass will get you a bike, a ride on one of these chariot shuttle buses, uh, 
a lift, maybe, uh, a car for the day, parking, mm-hmm. and, and it's all done on Ford Pass in one app, and it's all Ford branded. Uh, this seems to be where they're going. And then if they can, you know, bring this cloud technology to the city, then it all operates. And then, and then you know, that's a Ford city. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, uh, we're going to go on to talk about General Motors. But before we do that, I would like to thank Rocket Mortgage. Support for Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies and your life. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com forward slash full equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states NMLS consumer access dot org number 3030. Okay, uh, General Motors, which most people recognize for car brands such as Buick, Cadillac, Chevrolet, and GMC, um, had a much better year. I think they got a lot better press. Uh, how would you summarize 2017 for GM, John? I, w- I would summarize it by starting out uh, a year ago, again, in January, when they gave their guidance. I was actually at this press conference in Detroit, and they surprised the room. They came out and gave very upbeat guidance for 2017. And there was a lot of, you know, peak auto, at least for this cycle, talk going on at that moment. And and we knew that Ford was going to guide to a, a lower year. but And GM came out and said, we think things are going to be pretty good in 2017. Yeah, more or less like 2016. And everybody said, wait a minute, how's that going to happen? And they said, uh, we have these new crossovers. They have completely renewed uh, their whole line of crossovers across uh, all four of those brands. And and the new products are very up-to-date, very competitive, and they were engineered to be more profitable, uh, which is another way of saying uh, a little less expensive to build. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, and, and with more appealing options that maybe took the top trim levels upscale and, and that's where a lot of the money is made on products like this. And, and they said, you know, yeah, car sales are going to get clobbered. We think we can hold our ground on pickups, even though Ford has a newer pickup. We think we can roughly hold our ground on pickups. And we think the crossover is going to make up, at least in terms of profit, a lot of the difference. And everybody said, really? We don't buy this. And 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 the story of 2017 is that's basically what happened. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Didn't. You know, I, 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 don't sleep on Mary Barre, y'all. She's she's <laughs> she's on things. She's a step ahead well, of a lot of the people out there. Uh, but that that was that was one of the big stories for GM in 2017. Another huge one, of course, was they gave up on trying to make money in Europe and sold the whole thing, lock, stock, and barrel to Peugeot. Mm-hmm. I think that was probably was a, a smart deal. move. I think uh, you know, years of. Uh, not being able to generate a decent operating profit probably convinced them. But I think, didn't they take a write down of, uh, was it 5 billion for the sale? Uh, yeah, there was a, there was a one, 5.4 billion one-time charge for costs. And, and, you know, of course, GM takes a step down, uh, just a couple of steps down, I think, in, in the ranks of the world's biggest selling automakers because mm-hmm. they gave up, you know, 1.2 million vehicle sales a year, give or take, by selling this this operation. But they had been trying for, I mean, since the late 1990s to make their European operations sustainably profitable. And they'd almost gotten there and then Brexit happened. <laughs> and and that, you know, the exchange rates went, 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 wonky on them and and it became very hard and i i think 
uh, Barra and people like Dan Ammon, GM's president, uh, who was an investment banker before he joined GM and thinks very much in terms of returns on investment. I think they said, this ain't worth it anymore. We're going to sell mm-hmm. it. And Peugeot was willing to buy it in in and what was base? I mean, they more or less gave it to Peugeot. When you, when you balance out all the numbers and so forth, GM almost paid Peugeot to take it. Almost, and not quite, <laughs> but 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 almost. Um, but I think GM was able was glad to say, okay, we'll take a big one-time charge for this, and then we'll just look ahead. And this and, is also that they can. Yeah. Sorry, this is also they can concentrate much more on the North American market and a, a lot of the growth initiatives that they're starting there. Isn't that right? North America and China. They actually sell more vehicles in China now than they do in wow. North America. Uh, but it's just they're making – GM nowadays, GM's senior management doesn't think in terms of total sales, which was GM's thing for years. You know, we need market share. We need market share. Now they think in terms of return on invested capital. As an investor – and I own stock in GM. As an investor, I love that. Um, you know, they want they want returns on invested capital uh, ideally around 20 – you know, over 20 percent. Um and, and, you know, they're making good margins in China. They're making good margins in North America. And, and we'll get into more detail on that in a moment. Uh, those are those are the places where they want to spend their money. They think that once uh, some, some, some of the countries in South America have hit big recessions, places like Brazil and so forth, as those companies, countries recover, they think they'll make good margins in, in, in Latin America. So, they, you know, they're continuing to invest there as well. Mm-hmm. And then even looking within North America um, – they're ratcheting down sales on investments in sedans. They they recently renewed most of their sedans. They think those can go a couple of generations without completely being re-engineered from the ground up. So they won't have to spend a ton of money to have good sedan offerings in the market. They will just update them over time. Uh, they just spent a lot of money renewing their crossovers, and those are huge sellers. Uh, up next are the trucks. GM has new pickup trucks coming uh, and so forth. And we'll talk about that when we talk about the year ahead. But uh, the idea here to take away is it's all about, it, it, at GM, all about investing the money where they think it'll make the biggest returns. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they had they had a great year. They had record sales for pickups and crossovers, and they had all-time record for sales of electric vehicles too. Um, so yeah. as you touched on, what, what do you expect coming up in 2018? I know they have a self-driving car initiative um, that you're interested in. Well, I, I, the big news for GM, I, GM has has emerged as, as really one of the leaders in the race to self-driving vehicles. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the most interesting stories of 2017. Whoa, wait a minute. Uh, GM uh, bought uh, about, about a, I guess it was about two years ago, uh, Cruise Automation, uh, which is a San Francisco startup that, that had some real innovative work going on around uh, self-driving software, vehicle systems. And and put them to work, basically set them up as a GM subsidiary, gave them a bunch of money to hire people and put them to work on, you know, build us self-driving vehicles. Meanwhile, they launched the Chevrolet Bolt, the little electric car, uh, which they sort of described when it came out as, as this is a platform. And they didn't quite explain that. And you could, they, were, they were inviting people to read between the lines. Um, and you look at the Bolt, and, and when it first came out, a lot of people said, ah, you know, it, it, it's kind of squat and upright. The interior is is surprisingly roomy, but the trim is fairly plain. How is this ever going to compete with Tesla? You know, GM blew it. They don't know how to build an electric car that can compete with Tesla. Ha, ha, ha. And there was a whole lot of that from the tech press. Uh, well, it turns out that the self-driving taxi of the future 
looks a lot like a Chevy Bolt. And that was the idea from the beginning. This is their platform for building um, electric vehicles. They think they 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 did a presentation late in the year where they explained that uh, our self-driving system uh, will improve as as it collectively gets more miles on the road. And they said it improves faster when we do that, when we accumulate those miles in cities. So we're running cars around San Francisco and we're going to spread this to other cities as well. Test cars. They're expanding the test fleet. The more cars in the test fleet, uh, the more challenging the environments they're running in, the faster the system learns. They said we will mass produce it and bring it to market as soon as we're sure it's safer than a human driver. Mm -hmm. and, then they, and, then, and then they said at our current rate of progress, that'll be 2019. Which is incredible. Oh, and the world said, well, wait a minute, what? Yeah. <laughs> because Absolutely. unlike a lot of the companies that are working on self-driving software or something, uh, or even automakers that are talking about designing a self-driving car in the future, GM's already got the self-driving hardware, more or less, in production. You know, these self-driving cars will be Chevy Bolts. They will be built on the same assembly line in Orion Township, Michigan, that is building the Bolts right now. Uh, it's all set. And in fact, in September, uh, Kyle Vogt, who is CEO of the Cruise Automation subsidiary, said, uh, we have the mass producible self-driving Bolt. Bolt, rather. In terms of the hardware, we have something that could be put into mass production right now. They're still refining it. GM bought a, a maker of LiDAR sensors. Uh, shortly after that announcement, so one assumes that those new LiDAR sensors will become part of this mass-producible bolt in its next iteration. Uh, but they're going to keep iterating on that until the software brain is ready to go. And then they start rolling out the assembly mm -hmm. line. And the idea, G GM has said, is that these are going to be used uh, for automated self-driving ride hailing in dense urban environments, uh, starting initially in America and then possibly elsewhere as well. What isn't clear is whether they're going to do this with Lyft, which GM owns a stake in, or whether they're going to set up their own business to do it. And it seems almost like they're leaning toward the latter, mm -hmm. they which could would have be a, really interesting. They could have a real first mover advantage, which I'm sure is why they're doing this. They also announced uh, last year they're going to launch 20 all-electric vehicles over the next six years. Um, and just they just generally had an um, incredible year. Uh, Mary Barra did a fantastic job. And as you said, incredibly shareholder-friendly. I think they re they've returned... Uh, between 27, 2016, sorry, through 2017, they returned $7 billion to investors. Um, mm -hmm. So there's a lot of reasons for investors to be happy. Uh, sadly, that is all we have time for. But John, thank you so much for joining me on the show and bringing, as you always do, all of your knowledge. Thank you. Um, that's it from us today. If you would like to get in touch, please feel free to email us at industryfocus at com or tweet us on Twitter at MFIndustryFocus. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. For John, I'm Sarah Priestley. Thanks for listening and fool on. Thank you, John. Thank you, John.